This is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, I feel like you introduced this incorrectly, Aaron. You did it wrong. How did did they do? What did they do wrong? This is Pokemon with Aaron and Polly. (laughs) The hell it is. I will quit this show, Paul. (laughs) Pikachu. (laughs) He's on tight. Yeah. Um, Well, to be fair, it's not Pokemon with Aaron and Polly because Aaron and Polly haven't seen Detective Pikachu. And I, will I see Detective Pikachu? Well, I rushed right out because, like I said, it looked really good. Don't be so quick say, to judge, Aaron. Wayne might the, say it's the best movie ever. And still, <laughs> that would be on the Wayne scale of movies, <laughs> which is, you know, which is scurrilous and questionable. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Starman or Starboy or whatever the hell that book was called. <laughs> Spaceman. Spaceman. <laughs> yeah, no, so, that's your list, Paul. That's right. Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm, 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 whatever. I revisionist history here. Don't try to uh, paint Wayne with your stink, Paul. That's don't right. do it. Ah. I read enough bad books myself. I don't need to take credit for your bad book. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> I was trying to retcon, retcon that. Yeah. And this is a whole different type of media. So, Wayne. Yeah, tell so us. I'm. So first of all, I am a big Pokemon fan. I play Pokemon Go. I play the Switch game. I played all the Nintendo games. Well, and you did that augmented reality thing too, right? Where you're you're catching, you know, Scrammy sores or whatever out in the park. <laughs> yeah, that's the Pokemon Go I mentioned. Oh, okay. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron showing his lack of knowledge. I don't know all the names. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I am a big fan of the the games, the setting and things. So it was never a question that I was going to go out and see the movie. Uh, but, you know, went out last night, saw the movie and I really enjoyed it. I put it in the category of this movie is not for everyone. Aaron, I don't recommend you ever see it because you're not <laughs> a Pokemon fan. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is absolutely incredible. Uh, I'm becoming a very much a Ryan Reynolds fan between the Deadpool movies and now this uh, he just has this portrayal that makes you laugh and Ryan Reynolds is the voice of Pikachu so you know well, throughout you know, I saw the the trailers for this and I even saw you know like a behind the scenes trailer thing with Ryan Reynolds that I gotta swear I swear to God when I saw it I was convinced was a joke because it, it was so funny. And I'm like, how? why in the world would they ever do Ryan Reynolds as, as Pikachu? I mean, it just seemed so ridiculous that it couldn't be real. Yeah, and I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the hell out of that. But, uh, wow. <laughs> I don't know that the movie would have been nearly as good if it wasn't Ryan Reynolds doing the voice of Pikachu. Because mm-hmm. he just sells it. It's like a clean Deadpool who's also making a few who, uh, making a lot of fart jokes, coffee addiction jokes, and... Uh, you know, a few sexual jokes mixed in there as well. Right. Because uh-huh. it's Ryan Sexy Reynolds. Pikachu jokes. Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looked good. Like, uh, from a graphic standpoint, they did a great job of bringing these characters to life and seeing them in a, you know, obviously it's all digitally done, but seeing them in what would look realistic compared to say a cartoon so is, is the is the crime that detective pikachu uh, is researching is he looking for ash tyler is that what's going on here no it's uh so detective pikachu is set in a <laughs> it's not it's ash kind of, tyler aaron it's not star trek discovery i'm pretty sure it's ash tyler <laughs> <laughs> he's time traveled and uh <laughs> yeah it's not that pikachu 
Ah, okay. Uh, it is a completely different Pikachu. Gotcha. Uh, so the movie said it's based on one of the other video games, which was a Detective Pikachu video game. Never played that one, so I don't... You know, I do want to play it now after I've seen the movie. But the idea is in this city, they don't have Pokemon fights. They, It's a city where humans and Pokemon live side by side. The rest of the world constantly does, you know, Pokemon fights are basically the equivalent of dog fighting or cock fighting or whatever you want, you know, to compare it to. But in this city, they live together in harmony. Yeah. And the mystery he's trying to solve is he wakes up next to a car crash and has no memories whatsoever. And his hat has a name and an address on it. And he, so he's trying to solve the mystery of his partner was a police detective and trying to solve the mystery of what happened with his partner and what, what happened with him to lose his memory. And uh, Pokemon don't talk. You know, they basically just say their names. But one person can understand him. So it's kind of an I am Groot situation? Yes, exactly like that. <laughs> Except one person, for some reason, can understand him. Mm. And that's also part of the mystery. No one else can understand him. And it was one of the cool things I saw uh, in Target. They had a Detective Pikachu toy. And you press the stomach, and it changes what the voice says when you press the the sound thing. It'll either say really cutesy, uh, you know, Pika, 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 or you press the stomach, and it switches over to Ryan Reynolds saying lines from the movie, which mm. I thought was pretty clever from a toy standpoint. Uh, but definitely Ryan Reynolds sells it. I don't think it would have been as good if it wasn't for Ryan being the voice of Pikachu. That's what made it funny. That's what made it kind of cross the line so adults could enjoy it while they take their kids to the movie. I really enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it as a Pokemon fan. I definitely don't put it in a category of this is an incredible movie that everyone should go see. If anyone has any nostalgia for Pokemon, I think they should see it. So, huh. But if you have no Pokemon, prior Pokemon interest. Yeah, if you have no prior Pokemon interest, you might, you'll find some things funny about it, but it's not a movie that you should rush out and see okay maybe watch it on streaming but definitely it's it's a movie made for fans it is not a movie that has general audience appeal okay so uh i i feel like this is good timing to uh, recommend another piece of media uh, that came out this week. I'm afraid. I'm. I'm <laughs> he follows up the detective Pokemon conversation. All right. Go I, ahead. I think. I think is it detective strong. Pokemon the porn parody? <laughs> Dick no, detective I, I, Pokemon. I've I've not yet surfed over to Pornhub to check that one out yet. But <laughs> so for for the record, there is a Pokemon porn oh, parody. Dear Lord. I have not seen it, but I know it exists. Yeah, I am pretty I sure. That there's a funny books with Aaron and Polly porn parody out there. I'm just pretty sure. <laughs> but uh, except it's not a parody; it's just a video of what yeah, happened last yeah, night. That's just a home video. <laughs> it's just what happens at ManCon. Yeah, but, but uh, it's parody material because you know. <laughs> um, this week on HBO, uh, Chernobyl the series started, and uh, it it is horrifying. Um, I watched the first episode last night and I, I got to tell you, n number one, it's, it is, um, uh, wonderfully produced and just chilling 
uh, as they as they tell this story over the course of the series. Um, it is based on historical fact with very little fictionalization. Most of the fictionalizing is to just tie scenes together. It's not changing the content of things that actually happened and things that were actually said. Um, there is, the thing that I find so remarkable about it is that there is a companion podcast that HBO is putting out. So as they release an episode of the series on HBO, they also drop their podcast, which has the executive producer and Peter Sagal from National Public Radio hosting it and talking about all the kind of behind the scenes stuff and explaining. Yeah, that's exactly what that was like. Yeah. Well, and from a realism standpoint, Aaron, did you know they actually filmed in a retired nuclear power plant? Yeah, it's it's pretty uh it's pretty intense. Yeah, the, those aren't those aren't sets they created. They actually are shooting yeah. on location. Yeah, it's it really is. I mean, I, on on the strength of just the first episode, I mean, I I I think it is almost required viewing. So you know, right along there with Detective Pikachu, <laughs> companion this, piece. <laughs> I I very much want to see this, Aaron. I I don't know when I'll see it because I don't have HBO. Ah, but. It's something like once it's all released, I have a feeling they'll release it on like oh yeah they'll, DVD they'll or on, streaming or absolutely. something. And yeah, when they do, be... I will watch it because from a just a historical standpoint, I want to see this. Yeah, I mean, we knew that Chernobyl was horrible and terrible, but you know, when you're watching, you know, the the Soviet machine just deny what's going on, like it's impossible that can't happen. Can't happen. Of course, the 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 uh, the uh, you know, nuclear core didn't explode. That can't happen. It certainly can't happen in the Soviet Union. You know, and meanwhile, you've got guys going, look, I was there. I looked in the hole. There's nothing there, you know, and you've got firemen picking up these chunks of control rod going, what is this? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I should have a random ass media recommendation um, uh -huh. since that's where we're going with this. I don't really have one. I and, mean, and that's the name of our new segment. <laughs> random ass media recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I saw the upside on the plane. Does that count? It was pretty decent. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. It's feel good. Feel good movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Isn't doesn't Brian Cranston play a quadriplegic in that film? He does. It, 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 well, I mean, it feels good because they, you know, develop a friendship and it's uh. it's enjoyable. I mean, I, I don't need to go into a deep conversation about it. Yeah, <laughs> there, right. There's not much to it. I saw that an instant family, you know, so oh. it, it was it was a feel good, feel good uh, plane ride on the way to Utah. OK. Yeah. OK. Well, you know, I, and I think transitioning from, you know, a feel good movie Maybe we could trans transition to a feel-good comic like Flash Year One. I don't know. I didn't feel good reading this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, it was terrible. It was a terrible book. I understand why Wayne has jumped out of this series because, holy crap, this book was shit. I was like, is this one? Like, I was like, is it chapter one or is there? are they trying to fit the entire year one in one issue? Because <laughs> that's what it felt like. I was like, holy shit. This is like the entire year one in one issue. It, it moves so. I get it. It's the fa it's the Flash, but the the, <laughs> the the storytelling so much happens in the context of one issue, and then we have time travel, and yeah. I'm like, what is this? What is going on in this book? I had so many issues with this book, and the uh, the first one that you guys are hitting on is the pacing of this. It's he gets his powers, and then suddenly he just figures out how to do everything. Yeah, it's like there's no, you know. 
if you get the power to run really fast and you've never well, I guess I was about to say you've never read comic books about it, but he did read comic books about it. You're not going to immediately know how to vibrate your entire body to go through walls and things. Yeah, that was weird to me. Yeah, that he figured and, that out basically. I mean, understand, I think we're looking at a lengthy period of time, but the right. fact that it's in one issue and he's wearing the same clothes gives the impression that like he's figuring this out within the span of one day. Yeah, yeah and how about showing him react to breaking the sound barrier before breaking the time barrier. Yep. That was like as bad as the pacing was getting to that in the first issue of this story was way too much. You know, suddenly jumping forward in time, that should be something that happens a year or two into his career. Yeah. It, it Now I will say one positive thing about the book is I did enjoy the Howard Porter art. I do think in some some pages are a bit too overbearing with the number of panels on them. Oh, the 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 panels were ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, feel he like he draws you know, have, a damn go good iris, though. He does. He draws a damn good double page spread. Um, but you know, I I think there are some the 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 storytelling. There's so much happening in this book that you have pages with 12, 13, 14 panels on them. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's one that I'm looking at that has 16 panels on it. You know, that it, it just becomes a bit much. Um, yes. The pace, it, it, you're like, you're almost trying to read this at breakneck speed because it moves at breakneck speed, but not in a good way. Yeah. There, there. I understand that we complained about some of Brian Michael Bendis's um, deconstructed storytelling, even though he's gotten better about that, I will say. Um but there, there. But this is almost like too, too much um, compression or decompressed storytelling. This is too much compression. There's got to be that comfortable medium, and for a story called Flash Year One to uh, to have time travel, literally in the first issue, it, it was it. I it didn't work for me. I won't be continuing with this arc. I'm, I'm I you know, I, I was interested in it um, because don't get me wrong. It's not like we don't know the Flash's origin, and it's not like we haven't seen it told a thousand times by better artists and writers and don't get me wrong joshua williamson and howard Porter are great talent but it's not on display in, in this particular story arc and that's the thing well, that, I, that i found really questionable about this book is why would you come in and do, retell the flash origin story if you're not going to do it better if you don't if you don't if you really haven't sold and developed a way to really kind of spin it on its head and tell this story better because you know Everything that's come before is better than this. Yeah, and a year one should be developing, mm -hmm. and this just – it jumps in way too fast. It felt like at times they were trying to do everything they could to make this the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in they, fact, I was a little surprised that uh, they did not make Iris, you know, biracial. You know, when, yeah. when she shows up, because it did feel so much like the CW show when Iris shows up and, and she's white. I was like, wow, that's that's actually a little surprising. I really, really kind of felt like they were going to use this as an opportunity to retcon that. Yeah, except it does. It is the same creative team that's normally on the book. So they've already established, you know, the, the, the cast. And and I guess, you know, this is one of those retconings that'll tie into something that's going on in the current storylines. Which we've seen before. We've seen it with Green Lantern Rebirth um, and Green Lantern Year One with, by Jeff Johns. That's, you know, DC does this. Like, hey, let's retell the origin, uh, you know, in the middle of the book. 
um, just to, you know, but to retcon it and tie it into what we're going to talk about. That way it's like a, a storyline that ties into their origin. Um, but yeah, this is, I'm out. And I'm yeah. sorry to say that because I was I was excited about the idea. Yeah. Well, and let me throw another complaint in here. So his shoes burst into flames and such, which makes sense. And he talks about how his powers are all science based. But the wind shear does nothing to the rest of his clothes. Right. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. I don't want to see naked Barry, but, you know, he well, doesn't at any point try to come up with a a suit to protect against wind shear when he even talks about, I need something over my face to protect from wind shear. Well, and they never address this in flash books, but you know, shouldn't he be wearing the crotch out in his pants too? You know, with, with, where his, where his legs rub together. Yeah. Where, I mean, shouldn't he have the worst chafing? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's going to have some rash down there. Isn't he going to need to powder? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, you know, and it's funny because they established the shoe thing. And I know we're being harsh on this book, but it does kind of deserve it. Um, uh-huh. You know, they, they go into the whole shoe thing. You know, he, he, he you know, he, his shoes get burned. And then all of a sudden he, you know, next panel. Oh, but Wayne Tech, you know, we, I, you know I, I reverse engineered some Wayne Tech. I'm like, what? And what? Yeah. And how has it been established that? You have the skills to reverse engineer super powered boots, running boots. Oh, that... he didn't reverse engineer. He just plain stole them. Yeah, right. But it says Wayne Tech donated fireproof jackets, so he took the fireproof jackets and made boots out of them. Right. Uh huh. I I didn't see yeah. it established that he has well, that skill. Much less if it's and... that easy to cut up the jackets and make them boots. Are they really <laughs> that good? Well, I'd like. To... I'd like to point out, Paul, you know, you're a man who, who admires shoes. I've seen you unbox some shoes, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so you, you really, <laughs> you dig your shoes. You're a little fancy that way, but you know, say you needed to build your own pair of shoes. How, uh, how hobo would your shoes look that you made yourself? Oh, pretty bad. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it beggars the imagination that, uh, you know, Barry is able to make himself some really stylish boots, some sporty boots. Well, well and like- with the rush through, they also never deal with the fact that he just woke up and immediately ran out of the hospital. Yeah. The hospital's going to have some questions. They're going to be calling around. And, and- there should be some awkward moments because it's an origin story. And by the way, who runs in boots? I was about to say that, right? Yeah. No one runs in boots. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't they have just been sneakers? Yeah. <laughs> So lots of, I mean, and I understand it's a comic book, but you, you get lost in all of these things because there's no, they don't take a moment to have the story make sense, even in the context of comic book. And can I just mention how stupid the bad guys in the future are? The turtles? Yeah. Yeah. King Turtle is the villain that (laughs) finally takes over and everyone has their shells well, to be fair, the turtle is kind of established as this, um, you know, the still force thing going on right now. And yeah, so I, I mean, I get that they're trying to tie this into probably the year of the villain stuff and the Justice League stuff. But yeah, no, nah. I feel like they should have changed his name if they were going to try to make him a badass villain. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, this book was terrible. Is not badass. <laughs> yeah. Well, this but, book was terrible. Yeah, it was. But Aaron, you loved Batman and the Outsiders number one from DC Comics, oh. didn't you? Oh my god, it was like two for shits. <laughs> it really um, was <laughs> because wow, I was so looking forward to Batman and the Outsiders because I, I am a big Batman and the Outsiders guy. I mean, when Judd Winnick, I think that's right, when Judd Winnick was writing it back yep. in the day, that was. Fantastic book. Yeah. And, and for the record, Eric, can I say it is not fair 
better to call these books shits because a shit can be really satisfying sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fair point. Fair point. That these 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 books were both terrible. Uh, this one written by uh, Brian Hill with art by Dexter Soy. Um, I I hated this book and I hated it because it starts from a point in the book where. You know, it's Batman and the Outsiders, and he's assigning missions to the Outsiders, but the, the Outsiders are already like, you know, you can't trust Batman. Batman Batman doesn't have our best interests at heart. Black Lightning is this reluctant leader for some reason, and he's like, you know, we don't have to take this mission that Batman gave us. We would go do something else. And <laughs> he's got Katana, who's a character I love. I mean, I love all of these characters. Mm-hmm. But not a single one of them is written right. But Katana is like, you know, he, he goes to Katana and says, you know, I need a partner. I need someone to help me on this team. And she's like, OK, but I'm going to challenge you. And so immediately she's like, yeah, we're going to take this message uh, mission because I'm challenging you. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this book yeah, is terrible. It is. And, and can I answer your question about why Black Lightning is the leader of that group? Because he has a TV show right now. Uh, yeah, fair. You know, this book was terrible. Um, and if I feel like it's a story I've seen a gazillion times before. Well, um, and you've got you've got low rent cable in yeah, this book. Yeah, you got low rent cable. So the book on top of things, well I'll, I'll get to the low rent cable here in a second. So there was a book, I feel like it was just like 2 3 years ago. We had some type of Batman, maybe it was Batman and the Outsiders. Um, but his Covert Justice League. Remember that book? Yeah. I don't remember what it was called, but Batman yeah, had it, was, a, it was yeah, it was his secret his Secret Justice League. Yeah, yeah, secret, I, yeah. Yeah. And, and that book flopped too, you know, and it's because, and it's the same story. It's the same story every goddamn time. You know, it's yeah. Batman here. I trust you to be a leader. And they're like, what? Well, but I, I don't know how to be a leader. Yeah, you'll figure it out. And that's literally the story we see every time with these Batman books um, and the, or these outsider books. And what we're dealing with here is we've got that, you know, the, the poor storytelling on top of the poor story concept on top of the 90s grade art, the very late 90s grade oh, art. And, and heavy on the digital art and yeah. where it made it look really flat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really hated the art in this book. Yeah. And then you had the ending that basically has a cyborg from the future coming back uh-huh. to, to, you know, to save someone like Terminator. And I'm just right. like, Ooh, I am so far out of this book. Yeah, no, this book is crap. Yeah. I mean, it is so, so bad. So bad. You know, is that cyborg the low rank cable you're referring to? Uh-huh. No, no. The the character's name is Ishmael. Yeah, he, he's a I think he's new for the book, but I mean, he just seems like a a, a low rent ripoff of of many other types of characters like yeah. this. You know, I've come from the future to save you because you're going to save the future. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Well, and here's <laughs> I mean, the thing. The cast of the characters in this book, Batman, Black Lightning, Orphan, Katana, and The Signal. I like every single one of them except The Signal. Yeah, no. I'm not a fan of The Signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a strong cast of characters. They're just not doing anything with them. And they've got them, you know, strapped into a, to a story that... I don't care for, and they've already set it up with a whole bunch of baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like you come into it, and everyone's got their issue, you know, uh, orphans, orphan slash, you know, uh, Batgirl from the nineties um, ha- has her issues around, uh, you know, this business that she's in. You've got, uh, is it Signal? Is that yeah, who Signal. that is? Mm-hmm. 
uh, who who's got issues around uh, uh, a life. What was it? A, a life that was taken. Yeah. Uh, it's just everyone's got these little uh, emotional things that you know that's going to be their problem, and you're pulling them all together in this group. And I'm like, you know, couldn't Batman have found a better group of heroes to to work with? You would think so. He did yeah. in Detective Comics. I feel like this issue, this book, is going to last no more than six issues. Well, and the thing is, is that the, the the sort of outsiders group that they put together in Detective Comics recently was a hell of a lot stronger than this one. You know, and when you guys talk about uh, Black Lightning being the leader, I like Black Lightning. I think he's a really good Same character. Yeah. He's not leadership material, though. You know, I, I disagree because, you know, I have read books where Black Lightning is is running with stuff, but he's just not in this book. Um, you know, I, I I like that character a great deal, both in the comic and on the TV, even though I'm way behind on the TV show. But uh, this this just didn't it. And the if you're calling it Batman and the Outsiders, your first issue should start with Batman leading the group. You know, don't call it Batman and the Outsiders if Batman's going to be the mission giver and then dis- disappear. Yeah, agreed. You know, it should it should be a lot more Batman. And, you know, I understand that Batman's on the cover because Batman sells books. But then don't call it that. You know, say it's Outsiders with a special appearance by Batman. Yeah. You know, I, I just I, I, I dislike that. And I don't like Batman in the role of mission giver, you know, yeah. I, because because I, and this is a valid point. I wouldn't follow Batman, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because he doesn't always have your best interest at heart because he's a big picture guy, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, he doesn't trust other people to no. do things without him stepping in. And everybody knows that he's always got, you know, there's circle in a circle and a wheel within a wheel, you know, that it, it it's all a conundrum wrapped in a riddle inside a tasty, tasty treat. But it is you can't trust Batman. You know, because because Batman has his own agenda. Hopefully it's a good agenda and hopefully it doesn't wind up in some sort of OMAC brother eye situation. But, but you know, you can't trust. <laughs> why would you why would you follow Batman anywhere? Yeah. You know, so I, I will say so we're, we're talking about those are the two DC books we're talking about today. But I did read more than that. Um, but those are the two that I didn't like. Uh, so I read um, Bat- The Batman Who Laughs, issue five. Um, I've been sticking with that series. And I will say, uh, for those of you who aren't reading it, I- I've been sticking with it because it leads into Batman Superman. And it's good. It's not great. Um, but it does. But it did have a tie-in issue about the Grim Knight, which is basically the Punisher version of Batman. That is so fantastic. Um you know, it's, it's got art by Eduardo Riso, and it's some of the best art I've seen of his career. I, I can't recommend that book enough, um, but I don't know that you would understand it in without having read the Batman Who Laughs series. But damn good book. Um, and I'm also reading uh, Batman Detective Comics. I, I wasn't sure I was going to continue with it after the introduction of the Arkham Knight. I didn't love the first issue. But um, Detective Comics issue 1003 came out today, or this week, I should say. And I, I'm, I'm actually quite enjoying the storyline uh, in, in that book. Um, it's written by Pete Tomasi. Uh, it's got a fill-in artist. It's not Doug Mankey on this arc. It's um, some, uh, Brad Walker. So that, but I, thought, I think the art is very, you know, uh, Pat Gleason-ish. Mm-hmm. Not quite as good, but... Um, it, it, I, I'm, I'm enjoying that storyline. It's a solid storyline. It has nothing to do with the Arkham Knight from the video game. So mm. I think I've reached the point with Marvel and DC, and I go through phases of this. 
I'm in a burnout phase right now of the comics from the standpoint of I know that nothing matters. It'll all just be redone. You you know, you start really enjoying something and then Brian Michael Bendis will come in and ruin it. <laughs> or you know, something will change and it's going to be undone with the next big retcon, the next big flashpoint or crisis or whatever. Yeah. And I'm really struggling with that lately of things that should be big, holy shit moments. I just don't care about because it doesn't have the impact. It doesn't feel like, you know, what really works for me in the Marvel movies, for example, is that it's a shared universe where when something happens in one, it impacts all of the others. That's what I've always liked about the Mm -hmm. comic universes is that when the big events happen, they'll impact the entire books, you know, the entire lines. I used to really love that in the, some of the nineties crossover stuff from both Marvel and DC. And I'm just not getting that from this. One of the reasons why I try so many random, you know, indie books is because when something happens, it makes a difference. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to touch on two points you, you said there, Wayne. First is the Brian Michael Bendis ruining everything. Because while I agree, Superman is garbage, I got caught up on Action Comics this week. I am loving the Leviathan storyline in that it's book. It's actually pretty good. I, I, I'm caught up as well. It's it's actually pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And I'm harsh on Bendis right now because of what he did. Oh, he in, deserves it. <laughs> in Superman. But I've been a huge Bendis fan over the years. Yeah. Bendis has his downsides, his you know, decompressed storytelling. But all of the stuff he did with Ultimate Spider-Man. Man, some of the stuff he did with Avengers. I mean, I've been a huge Bendis fan over the years. Mm-hmm. It's just he broke Superman for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we're going to talk about a book in a little bit that I I, I think may be um, maybe an answer to some of your needs. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So, so you know, I, I like Paul. I've been traveling quite a bit lately, mm-hmm. and you know, while traveling is terrible. Um, one of the benefits of, of being in the airport and on the airplane and having so much time on your hands uh, while you're moving from one part of the country to the other is the opportunity to get caught up on some reading. And one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, was Cosmic Ghost Rider Volume 1. I don't know if oh, you yeah. recall or not, but I bought the first issue of that and did not like it because it was rather silly. Um, and I just wasn't uh, the sort of book that I was in the mood for. But I read that that uh, uh, first volume uh, while I was you know, on my way to Chicago. I got to tell you, that book's a lot of fun. Um, it, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt because there is no – you know, Frank Castle – is cosmic ghostwriter, right? Yeah. And, you know, there is no way that Frank Castle is as ridiculous as cosmic ghostwriter tends to be because, you know, he's almost got a voice of, of a rather acerbic Spider-Man. And, you know, that's certainly not who Frank Castle is. But, you know, if you're willing to disregard that, it's a really fun book because he decides to go back in time and murder baby Thanos, and then winds up deciding that he can't murder baby Thanos. So here, here's his solution. He's going to raise baby Thanos. And, you know, because if I raise him right, he won't turn into the mass murderer that he later becomes. And, you know, you've got Uatu, the watcher watching and he's like, you know, Hey, you know, the watcher's here because he sees that, you know, this is going to be a great thing. And the watcher's like, no, no, that's not why I'm here. (laughs) This is going to be really bad. And, 
you know, spoilers, Thanos turns into succeeds, uh, succeeds uh, Frank as the Punisher. And so there's this image and I put it on our Instagram this week uh, in, in our story uh, with Thanos dressed as the Punisher, which was huh. a whole lot of fun. It's a whole yeah. lot of fun. I need to see that picture. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I read the first issue or two of that series, and I kind of had the same – I don't know if maybe I just wasn't in the mood for it, but I had the same problem you did, Aaron. If it seemed too over the top for me, too slapstick. and Yeah, it was too Deadpool versus the Marvel Universe, right? Exactly. Yeah. But, I, you know, it, it, in the proper mindset, it was very enjoyable. You know, I, I got a kick out of I'm glad I, I read it. And yeah, I think it was on sale for three ninety nine on uh, a comiXology when I picked it up. Uh, you know, and that's the beauty of those Marvel sales is that stuff that I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm reading that book. Yeah. Uh, they'll put it out there for three ninety nine. I'm like, I'll read that. <laughs> yeah, I got caught up on a bunch of things this week, including a storyline we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to switch over to the Marvel side of the house. And I had mentioned detective comics and how that's written by pete tomasi um well his normal partner in crime pat gleason has been working with brian michael bendis on the young justice book which i don't know that any of us are reading anymore except for wayne uh who's, who's still hopeful that, Me? It, that it'll be Hell good no i dropped off of that that <laughs> looks horrible i didn't know if you were still hoping after... <laughs> no i dropped off after issue two yeah, there's no here. amount of connor kent that could keep us in that book the no, only thing so that made me th- think about reading more of it was uh, on free comic book day i flipped through the most current issue and saw that uh tim was out on a date with stephanie uh, don't don't be fooled Do and be fooled. yeah <laughs> as i kind of looked through it's like you know not even that's enough to bring me into this book this book was that bad yeah. that i'm not even buying it for spoiler oof well the the artist on that book uh, Pat Gleason has signed a Marvel exclusive, um, you know, big loss for DC because huge you know, loss for DC. Yeah, he's been on DC for a while. Again, partnered with Pete Tomasi mostly, but um, you know, lately with Bendis, and you know, the, he he is now going to be um, one of the regular artists on that Amazing Spider-Man book that mm-hmm. Spencer is writing. So he'll be you know joining that rotation. But yeah, huge loss for Marvel. Um, you know, good DC. Yeah, DC, yeah. But uh, big game for Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of what we see is, you know, it's the it's the uh, reallocation of chairs on the deck, right? Uh, you know, Bendis went over to Marvel and he took a bunch of Marvel talent with him, and now you're seeing the DC talent moving over to Marvel. Because, yeah. you know, there's, there, there is certainly some opportunity over there. Oh, yeah. Well, so. you know, and and I think uh, he, he is well-suited to, to do a Spider-Man book. Yeah. So, you know, there wasn't a post credit scene in Avengers Endgame until now. Yeah. Somebody used the time stone to go back and add a post credit scene. To yeah. Well, I'm kind of pissed at him for doing that. <laughs> it's it's a, all it is, is they added the trailer for freaking Spider-Man um, Far, from, Far home. from Home, because, you know, that that obviously spoils the end of um, Avengers Endgame. So, yeah, they, they have added the trailer at the end of Avengers Endgame. So if you... Oh, so it's not even new footage. It's the just the existing trailer? Yeah, it's just the new trailer. Oh. Well, yeah. then now I'm not so pissed because I don't <laughs> care anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if, you, if for some reason you have not seen Avengers Endgame, 
or or you have seen it and you want to go see it again, now you can see it again and sit through the tra- through the credits <laughs> to watch that trailer that you can now watch on YouTube. Um I I, I, hear, I get why they didn't I, I wish they had added it. Well, no. I understand why they didn't add it to begin with, because they want to leave you with the feeling that you have at the end of Endgame. Right? That that finality that, that Endgame provided. Um, and I get why they've now added it since. Um, but I, I think they're just trying to convince people to go back to the movie. But I wish yeah, they had I actually exactly added content. Was. You know, yeah. show me the first five minutes of Spider-Man Far From Home. The first ten minutes or something. I get and when I heard, when I heard hours. they did this, that's what I thought they had done was add, you know, at least scenes we hadn't seen, like some sort of special teaser. No. I didn't realize it was just the trailer we've already seen. Yeah, just the trailer you've already seen. So Mm-mm-mm. yeah, so but you know, if if you were looking for an excuse, you can go check it out. Yeah. Well, and an, more big news out of Marvel this week was that Marvel Comics 1000 is coming out this August. They've had a number of house ads referencing that something big is coming for Marvel in August. And um, it is going to be Marvel Comics number 1000 featuring 80 80 creative teams over 80 pages. Um, It's going to be kind of overseen by um, I don't remember the guy's name the, uh, the writer's name, Al Ewing who's currently the writer on Immortal Hulk. He's kind of the the overseer of the story in Marvel Comics 1000, but it's going to feature a number of creative teams, including people who are not normally, um, you know, Marvel writers. They've got, like, some uh, uh, filmmakers in there and, and singers and just fans of Marvel are, you know, yeah, are responsible I've, for I've a Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of stuff in social media where it's, it's like the talent that they're matching up, you mm-hmm. know, so, it, you know... I, like I saw one yesterday, it was Kelly Sue DeConnick and somebody and somebody else. I didn't catch the guy's name, uh, but you know it, it's just you know colored background and uh, the the uh, talent's name, Marvel yeah. One Thousand. So that's sort of the 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 ads that we're seeing out there for it. Um, they seem pretty excited about it, Paul. Yeah, how do you feel about it? not excited about it. I don't like those kind of big jam sort of books. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it'll be pretty. Um, I'm sure it'll be like 10 bucks or more. Yeah. yeah. Easy. Yeah, it'll it definitely be like, 10 bucks. It sounds like something that would have been better pitched to free comic book day, you yeah. know, to get you excited about new books coming out. And August seems a weird period to drop something like this. Um, it being the end of summer. Yeah. And there's not, but maybe it's how they're going to hook time. kids into and maybe it's going to be the way they're going to hook kids into staying into comics when they get back in school in the fall. But uh, I, I don't know. I just I, I'm sure it will be very pretty and I'm sure I'll pick it up on a sale one day. But to Wayne's point, I'm sure it's also going to be a nine dollar book. Yeah, easily. 80 pages. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's a fun idea. Um, it, it, they're not advertising it as the start of you know, the major Marvel reboot or anything like that. So I think it's just, like you said, like a jam piece, like a celebration of yeah. Marvel. Um, you know, celebrating... A made-up celebration of Marvel. 80 years of Marvel. <laughs> yeah, it's a made-up. Yeah. Yeah, there is no... They, they even said, like, the number 1,000 they just thought was, like, yeah, a fun thing. Like, it, it's not... They're not actually tying into 100 issues of... Or 999 issues of anything. Right. Uh, which is also funny. Why not just call it the Marvel 80th issue anniversary right. book? Exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun idea. Um, you know, I, it, we, we've talked about 
it's also probably a response to Detective Comics and Action Comics 1000, mm-hmm. um, which no, I think that's exactly what it is. The idea is to is to have sell a hardcover with it. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll you'll have the the floppy that's on the stands, and then you'll have something that's completely different as a hardcover. Uh, you know, because both of those, both the Batman book and the Superman book did really well. Yeah, but, you know, weren't really good. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I expect something similar from Marvel Comics 1000. In fact, I would ma- imagine it'll be even m- not as good, even more, not even worse, because it's even, at least, more, it, not good. even, even more ungood <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, it's it's one page stories, basically, versus at least five, ten page stories. But, uh, you know, Wayne was talking about stories that have no impact, no weight, disillusionment. And I got to say, you know, I got caught up on Invaders this week because issue five came out. I feel like, you know, and we loved the first two issues. But for some reason, I just got behind. You know, we've we've been we've had a a fluky podcast schedule lately. Um, You know, issue five came out and whether this has long term impacts or not, I feel like the emotional weight of this book draws me in enough that um, I, I love this storyline. I don't know how you feel about it, Aaron. Well, you know, I I was behind on it. I was uh, I, I had not read issues three or four. And yeah, then, same here. You know, as you said, <laughs> issue five came out this week. And for the same reason, I enjoyed the first two issues of this book. I just hadn't had time to to get to it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when Paul and I were coordinating uh, for this week's podcast, he had mentioned, hey, I read Invaders. I'm like, I, I guess I can get caught up. Um, and I'm so glad I did because it redeemed the week. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I was looking forward to Batman and the Outsiders, and it was really terrible. And you know, I did not enjoy the Flash book. I was just checking it out to you know be a responsible comics comic book podcaster, and I didn't enjoy it. And so it was nice to cleanse my palate with something that was really super good, uh, that has stakes, that asks big questions as well as little questions. Um, you know, the 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 Invaders book, while it, it's calling itself the Invaders, it really is sort of a Namor story. Um, uh, you know, really readdressing Namor's origin because he's had had a weird origin over the years, um, tying pieces together again. Um, you know, like you know, incorporating his origin in Fantastic Four, incorporating his his years in the Invaders, and you know, some of that stuff that's happened subsequently, rolling in the role that he's actually a mutant. Um, I mean, it's all it, it's all done so well. And the artwork is gorgeous, uh, and, it, and it uses some of my favorite characters. Not only do we have Captain America and the Winter Soldier, we've got Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch. Um, I love this book. This book is fantastic, and it's it's ramping up. I, in fact, it's one of those books I'm like, why isn't this the big crossover? Yeah, it certainly you know? feels like it, right? There's so much yeah. in this book. It, because I also got caught up on War of the Realms, and right. there's no emotional weight to that book, yeah. zero whatsoever. You know, uh, even though characters are dying and things like that, like I'm just like, okay, next page, next page, next page. Um, just in the, and, and I like Jason Aaron, but just the storytelling doesn't work in that one. It does yeah. in this one, and it does feel like there are consequences and weight behind the actions and the decisions being yeah. made in this book. It you know there is big action. I mean, there, there's a pretty striking end. To, yeah. to the current issue, um, but 
you know, it's it's more about at this point, it's the battle for Namor's soul. And that's right. the story that you're invested in. This well, and it's actually really interesting. It like, is. The, it uh, is. The War of the Realms stuff I have no interest in because it's just their big crossover that won't mean anything. But Namor is one of those characters where I've never really – I don't think I get the character. It, I tend to not like him. I don't like how he gets used. And I've always wanted to see what other people see in the character. And the idea of the the battle for you know Namor's soul or something like that sounds kind of interesting because he is a character that's been hero and villain. Well, and th- that's one of the things that I really like about this book is it's it's bringing together those two aspects of Namor. You know, Namor the hero, Namor the villain, and it's explaining why he is sometimes so different. Uh, and, and I like that when the, when the writer is able to make sense of things that don't really make sense, <laughs> you know, in the, in the, in the prior storytelling and that it establishes that, you know, he, you know, he did the secret ride along with Charles Xavier years and years ago, you know, trying to find mutants before Xavier was able to build his Cerebro, uh, uh, technology. And the fact that Charles messed around in his mind, exacerbating a post-traumatic stress disorder that he had from world war ii um i I just i love where how this story is coming together and you know it's making me ask questions so paul i don't know if you if if this was something that, that that you were tuning into but um one of the guys that he fought with in his years with the invaders fought alongside. He didn't fight the guy and you know, really good friend. He is approaching the end of life. And so we spend a lot of time with that family and you know, that man's daughter has a son and you know, that man's daughter is named nay, you know, after Namor because Namor is such a, a close fr- family friend uh, after the war. And then her son is named Roman, Namor spelled backwards. Um, we never hear anything about her husband mm-hmm. or the father of the child. Um, there is a very close relationship between Namor and Roman that we see. Yeah. Now, while the boy doesn't have any Atlantean features, you know, he doesn't have pointy ears. Um he sure does look a lot like Namor, though. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling that's where they're going with it. Yeah, and there's that scene where she comes into his room while he's, you know, having an episode, and she's in her bathrobe and doesn't look like much else. Yeah. Um, even though it is a big bulky bathrobe, and the room is not the the scene is not painted necessarily sexual, but it is certainly very affectionate you know, and nurturing. And I just can't help thinking that, you know, maybe on that night, Roman was fathered. I feel like we could be looking at that. Yeah. 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 And I'm fascinated by that, particularly the way in which Roman is used in issue five, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and you're like, holy shit, this is bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, Um, the book is really good. And to my, to my earlier point, I don't know why this isn't a big crossover because this links into all those things that Marvel wants you to link into, I would think. Number one, it's got big action. You got the Avengers involved, right? You know, they call them in. It's got big stakes, right? Mm-hmm. It's got uh, – it, it, it tugs at the core 
of that 80 year history of Marvel comics. Cause it goes all the way back to the earliest captain America days. Um, and it's got, you know, this character who's been around, not just captain America, but you know, Submariner is one of the original characters from timely comics. Is, I, you've got stellar talent on this book. I, I don't understand why this wasn't the event. Is this a mini series or an ongoing mini? Uh, there's one yeah. more issue, I believe. Okay. You guys have sold me on it. I'm going to pick up uh, it's the first five issues book. after the recording. And I think that, uh, you know, I'll probably from the sounds of it, just, you know, marathon through them. Yeah. yeah. It's a, and, and I tell you, I feel like my read this week where I read three issues back to back was the way to read that. I agree. Because they just dovetail into each other and uh, it really a really strong bit of storytelling. And and I just I don't feel like this book is being promoted much. Um, I, Not as much I, as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, highly and recommend. And I'm so glad you made me re- get caught up this week, Paul, because uh, otherwise this was going to be the biggest downer uh, podcast because, wow, those other two books. Wow. Stinky yeah. bad. Well, next week, um, I'm going to go ahead and get caught up on Justice League. I, I, I'm, I'm caught up up to the most recent storyline, The Sixth Dimension, and I really enjoyed the first issue of it. I don't know how, how caught up you are on the, the book, Aaron. Which um, book? Justice League. Yes, I'm, I'm current on Justice League. Oh, okay. Well, I'll get caught up because Justice League issue 24, The Sixth Dimension, Chapter 5, comes out. And I, I, and I would I, certainly like to have words on, on the, the I, I am, arc. I am really enjoying that arc. Just, you know, teaser. Okay, uh, good, good to know. I, I, I'm really enjoying it. I like what they're doing with Superman in that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 it's, a, it, it's a lot of fun, and there's some terrible, terrible things happening. Yeah, I feel like it took a while for Scott Snyder to find his stride or his own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, on the book, but I feel like he has certainly found it, um, yep. and I'm looking forward to getting caught up on that one. So that comes out next week, as well as the new issue of Batman. Batman issue 71. Finally, Batman is out of the nightmares, and he is, you know, taking the fight to Bane. Um, I feel like we already know how that's going to end because issue <laughs> 75 is called City of Bane and starts that storyline. But right. this is the buildup to the big Batman 75. Um, so that comes out next week as well from DC Comics. From Marvel Comics, we have um, the continue of the continuation of Hunted, uh, the the current Craven um, storyline in Amazing Spider-Man. Um, we have War of the Realms continuing issue four there that none of us are going to read. Um, but I do have a question uh, because Aaron, you read the first arc of Immortal Hulk, correct? Yes, actually, I read the second one too because I picked up the uh, trades. And read them on a plane. <laughs> okay. So the third trade comes out next week, and I'm assuming yep. since you read the second trade, it's worth reading. I will tell you, uh, I, I mean, I, I hate this. I didn't realize we were going to talk about it. Was I would have looked it up, but one of our our listeners uh, challenged me mm-hmm. to uh, continue reading Immortal Hulk, and I, I apologize to you, guy. I, I, I'm drawing a blank on your name right now, but. Uh, uh, I uh, I went and I finished volume one, liked it enough, read volume two. I like where the book's going. I like the story it's telling. Okay. okay. So, I yeah, I'll, I'll be looking at volume three when it goes on sale. I'm not going to pay retail. That's crazy yeah. talk. Well, volume one's $2.99 um, on Comixology, oh. so I'll be picking that up. Wow. Yeah, I'll pick it up for two ninety nine. Yeah. I uh, It was not a book I was willing to pay full price for based on the – just the previews yeah. uh, along those lines, Aaron, when it comes on sale, I really did enjoy the Hulk Vereens book. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'll pick that up. Well, I'll pick that up. And one final thing that um, that I also will probably wait till it's on sale, but I will probably pick up because it's a great piece of nostalgia, is the Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection. Um, I don't know what volume it is, uh, but there is the Assassination, Assassin Nation storyline um, from Amazing Spider-Man is being collected next week as part of those Marvel Epic Collections. And if you don't recall that storyline, um, it's one of my favorite Spider-Man covers and, and one of the things that I remember very fondly as a kid. It's written by David Michelin, um, features art by Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Eric Larson, has the iconic cover of Captain America and Spider-Man standing side by side, um, you know, against uh, the Red Skull. Uh, it's a, It's a Big fun storyline, you know, from the mid, early to mid 90s. I don't remember the exact year, um, but uh, collects issues 311 through 325 of The Amazing Spider Man. And I just remember that arc very fondly. And if you're in my age group, you probably, um, if seen, would see the cover and remember it as well, because it was a big deal at the time. So I'll probably pick, yeah. I, I will pick that up when it goes on sale. I have always loved, I can't think of a single one of them that I haven't loved. Uh, arcs with Captain America and Spider-Man. Yeah, I just remember Those that David, that uh, Todd McFarlane cover. I just, you know, yeah. uh, th- these those are the books that really kind of brought those guys to uh, to the forefront of the Marvel universe. Those characters work so well together. From a, they're both everyman characters that have grown beyond that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, anytime they're in a good story together, that is dealing with the fact that they're just people that grew up in New York uh, and they're more down to earth than a lot of the other heroes, despite incredible powers. They turn out really well. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, well, that... well uh, Paul doesn't know this yet, Oh. but uh, he and I are getting together to record a fresh episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly later this week because Monday... What? is the Deep Space Nine documentary, uh, What We Left Behind, a fathom event showing at theaters around the country, one night and one night only. Paul and I both have tickets to go see it, so we're going to come back and talk about that, plus all of your regular Star Trek news. It's going to be a thing. Uh, Check out the feed, Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. And, you know, if you've got comments about the crappy books we read this week or even the great books that we read this week, or if you want to talk about whatever weird thing you're reading, because we know that uh, Paul and uh, Wayne are reading weird stuff, Mm -hmm. give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. And Paul, I probably need to include the voicemail uh, in the show this week that I got from uh, Quicken Loans offering us uh, offering to refinance our mortgage. Oh, so, okay, uh, okay. You know, uh, maybe we'll pull, pull that in and I'll send them a surprise. We should add a clip from uh, the, the porn parody, Porny Books. Porny Books. <laughs> Porny Books with Aaron and Polly. Porny Books. Yeah. yeah. Not, not the show title. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.